0: Well, hello there. Uh, my name is Lee Hedgemontelis, and I'm the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. And welcome to our first ever Law Pod, our first podcast. And the podcast is for the purpose of providing what we will hope to be a very useful and informative material for clients and for potential and future clients on matters that may be of particular interest to them. Now, the first podcast that we will be doing today will be dealing with a matter that we comes across our desks quite often and it's one that is of great concern to a number of people as it should be because it's a particularly important matter and it deals primarily with the management of people's affairs especially after uh, their passing so That is a question of, you know, the distribution of estates and the like, preparation of wills, etc. So, to discuss these uh, very important matters, I have with me one of the senior solicitors at Bryden's Lawyers and I'll allow her to introduce herself.
1: Hi Lee, my name's Nicole. I work as part of the Family Law and Estates Division here at Bryden's Lawyers and I'll be hopefully assisting Lee as much as I can today.
0: I'm sure you will be. Now, how long have you been with us, Nicole?
1: I have been with Bryden's for about 12
0: months. Okay, was it the best decision that you've ever made? Yes. I'm glad to hear that. All right, well, let's first start talking about, you know, wills and the like, and of course, I mean, most people understand what a will is. It's a, yes. it's a legal document, of course, that sets out the manner in which people want their estate distributed. Correct. Correct. Now, there are a number of things that we have to consider when a client asks us to prepare a will, and I've noted that in the notes here that you've prepared for today, you've mentioned legal capacity. Is that the first thing that actually triggers your mind when you're taking instructions? Yes, given the importance of
1: a will, we obviously have to establish that the person who's um, drafting the will, that is a testator or testatrix has what's called legal capacity to draft the will. So legal capacity of a person to act under the law and how to distribute their estate accordingly is obviously of importance. In relation to a person preparing a will and signing a will as well, they obviously have to be of sound mind and capable of making decisions pertaining to their life or what they would like to happen with respect to their estate upon their
0: passing. Many people would be familiar with the phrase of sound mind and body when preparing wills. We don't use that phrase. Uh, anymore but that's basically what it means doesn't it that the person does have the actual legal capacity to provide instructions to prepare a will they know what they're doing and they understand the effect of what they're doing that's correctly all right so how do you satisfy yourself that someone has legal capacity
1: generally we just ask a series of questions just just to ensure that you know they understand why they're here today what they'll be doing today it could be as simple as determining what their date of birth is if they're able to answer that their residential address who the current Prime Minister, for example, is, um, even though that's subject to change quite often here in Australia.
0: Ah, very true. Well, and I know that there are uh, very significant ethical and professional responsibilities imposed on all solicitors. Of course. uh, When dealing with questions of incapacity, the minute that you suspect that there may be a lack of capacity, alarm bells ring. That doesn't apply only to the preparation of a will, of course, that applies to all legal matters. You need to be satisfied that your client has that legal capacity. All right, well, let's assume then that um, Mr. or Mrs. Client is sitting opposite you and then alarm bells are raised and you have questions concerning their capacity to give instructions and and, and execute a will, what do you do then?
1: Generally in that process I'll obviously still um, do my best to obtain instructions if it becomes particularly difficult. I would obviously try and finalise the conference and then ask them to provide what's called a medical um, certificate or letter of capacity from their GP. That can generally be obtained if they go speak to their general practitioner, or alternatively, I can get those details and I can speak to them directly to satisfy myself that they do definitely have legal capacity to draft a will. Well,
0: that's, that's important, isn't it? Because the obligation is on us to satisfy ourselves that the client does have legal capacity, but we can't do that ourselves because we're not medically qualified. Correct. You need to rely upon medical evidence that's profitable by a treating doctor or specialist and if need be then we can even arrange for an examination of a client to make sure that we are satisfied that they do have legal capacity at the end of the day one thing that we cannot do is simply ignore the warning signs exactly right right. so let's assume then for the moment the client we've determined does not have legal capacity can we still assist them?
1: Generally, we'll do our best to obviously see what they want. But if, for example, they're unable to provide us with the letter of capacity, then I have in the past spoken to that GP specifically myself to determine one whether it's a situation where it's just a short-term circumstance, if they're going through anxiety or whatnot. But if it's going to be a prolonged period, we'll obviously um, try and seek, I suppose, further details there.
0: Because, of course, there are different levels of capacity or incapacity, I mean, Once it reaches a certain point where the client lacks legal capacity, of course we need to intervene, usually with a third party. But there may be conditions from which people suffer, for example, dementia or Alzheimer's, where there are periods during which they are incapacitated and periods during which they are not. That makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? Definitely.
1: Um, the case, particularly when it comes to dementia Alzheimer's and whatnot, we obviously have to definitely satisfy ourselves and without a doubt a letter of capacity will have to be provided and with a general practitioner that's always obviously seeing this
0: particular client as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, of course, it's just providing protection for the client as much as it does for us exactly. to make sure that we do the right thing and then the client's uh, wishes are fulfilled exactly. as far as possible. I, I, I do hear on occasion mention uh, of statutory wills. Yes. Can you explain to us what they are? In
1: terms of a statutory will, that's obviously in circumstances where the Supreme Court will intervene. A statutory will can obviously be made on behalf of a person who doesn't have legal capacity. However, we need the court to validate that had they had capacity, the will would have been drafted in this particular way. And the judge has been persuaded that this would have in fact been their last will and testament had they had capacity.
0: Okay, so in other words, so the court would have to be satisfied on evidence available as to what the wishes of the the client would be and prepare a will. But there may be circumstances, for example, where the client never had capacity and provide those instructions. For example, if we're dealing in a medical negligence claim against a hospital or a doctor involving a birth defect, you know, a child born with cerebral palsy, for example, and is never able to provide the necessary instructions to prepare a will, we could still make an application to the court and have a will prepared and the court would be satisfied as to what the terms of the will should be on behalf of that child, particularly in circumstances where the child may have received a very large compensation payout then that would form part of that child's estate and would have to be distributed according to the terms of the statutory will. Well, that's a very useful device then, isn't it? Of course it is. To make sure that there is at least a will present for those people that can't produce one for themselves. Exactly right. All right. Now, this takes care of the situation where someone lacks capacity, but people may want to put into place provision to cater for that before it happens. So as we all get older, unfortunately, there are the trials and tribulations of time, which we have to deal with. So someone might want to put into place provision for a lack of capacity in the future. Can you do that?
1: Yes, you can. And that's generally done by way of an enduring power of attorney or enduring guardian. In terms of enduring power of attorney, that's obviously got to do with the legal and uh, financial decisions that's made by you. With respect to the enduring guardian, that's obviously to do with the medical and dental and lifestyle decisions.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's the clear distinction between the two. So the enduring power of attorney involves management of all your financial affairs and the enduring guardianship, deals more with lifestyle decisions where you will live uh, who you will live with uh, what treatment you may or may not have for your condition etc well that's a clear distinction so it's important I suppose that in those circumstances you have both an enduring power of attorney and the enduring guardianship prepared for you.
1: Correct, generally when clients um, come to see us with respect to one, we generally do say it's mm. it's best to prepare both documents because you don't want a situation where you only have your financial and legal um, decisions made by one person and neglect your medical and dental and lifestyle decisions.
0: And it's not necessary, I suppose, to have the same person appointed as your attorney as well as your guardian.
1: Not necessarily.
0: No, you might have, for example, your accountant appointed as your attorney who's familiar with your financial affairs Correct. and, and who has got a particular skill set in that regard as opposed to a family member in whom you would place trust to look after your personal matters, your personal affairs.
1: Yeah, and that's generally more common than not in these circumstances.
0: Well, that that seems to make a a lot of sense. And and especially, as I say, that takes care of the situation which arises in the future. If you lack capacity, at least these things have been put into place.
1: And it's also a safeguard as well. So should anything happen, particularly if you plan on going overseas, and obviously in circumstances like that, there's unforeseen accidents and things like that that can happen. And at least you've got these documents prepared and someone appointed to deal with those circumstances.
0: Are there any limits? on the powers that the attorney or the guardian may have.
1: Yes, you can definitely restrict um, the powers that they have and you can also determine when they can exercise those powers. So, for example, they can exercise it from the date of signing. They can exercise it upon receipt of the medical report from the doctor saying that you lack capacity in that way or from, for example, um, a certain circumstance comes into fruition and they can act accordingly
0: based on that. Oh, that's excellent. I mean, all this sounds very clear to I me and it sounds something that's uh, the sort of thing that people should be giving consideration to. People might be a little bit put off by the prospects of actually engaging a, a lawyer in incurring the fees, is it expensive to have these documents prepared? Not
1: at all. So if you're looking to prepare um, a simple will here at Brighton's, we charge about $330, that's inclusive of GST, and Enduring Power of Attorney and Enduring Guardian, that's 385, including uh, GST for the preparation of both documents. If it's a will that you'd like to prepare for yourself and your partner, spouse, de facto partner, that's 440, inclusive of GST as well.
0: Oh, that sounds reasonable to me, but of course it would. Um, <laughs> look, th- these are important documents that need to be considered, I think, by all of us, particularly as we reach a certain stage of our lives, but as you say, even presents uh, itself to those who might be travelling overseas in case of very unfortunate occurrences as to what might happen with their affairs. Um, and, that, and young people may want to appoint their parents as their attorneys or their guardians uh, until such time as they re- return home safe and sound. Exactly All right. right. Uh, look, one of the things that I'm often asked when I prepare wills and these documents on behalf of clients is how I make them challenge-proof. You know, they're, they're concerned because of their particular family circumstances that issues might arise with respect to the distribution of their estates. For example, a parent may or may not wish to benefit a child for whatever reason and we know that there are circumstances arise in families where difficulties are encountered in this regard and my response is basically that you cannot make the document challenge proof that is You can't prevent someone from making a challenge, but you can express the wishes of the person making the document in such terms that it will influence a court. It will have a great bearing on the outcome of such a challenge. So so who can contest a will and what sort of circumstances are wills contested?
1: Generally an eligible person and that can include a spouse, de facto partner, former partner, child of the deceased, but generally um, in short, it's very difficult, as you said, to make a will that's not able to be contested, only because that's obviously a discretion that the court has by way of the Succession Act. If, for example, it has been um, provided that that person has not been adequately provided for, then obviously they'll be, I suppose, somewhat successful in their claim if they're able to satisfy the court accordingly.
0: Because there are two elements, aren't there, to a successful claim against an estate that is firstly proving that you are an entitled person. Correct. And second, proving that you have a need. Correct. Okay. Because, I mean, it's not a simple matter if you have three children or four children, for example, just cutting out a child or a spouse or the like. They do have an entitlement under the law to have. Uh, their interests considered at at the very least and if the court believes that it's appropriate for them to benefit under the estate then they will.
1: And if they haven't been adequately provided for as well.
0: Absolutely and now I know that in some circumstances a client can be advised to prepare a letter which can be retained with the will setting out the reasons for which they have decided to distribute the estate in the way that they have.
1: Yes and to ensure that I suppose that letter is considered we generally include it within the will to say that this will be read in conjunction with this particular letter so then at least it's Referenced in there, and you know, it's likely in today's time that a lot of people do move around. And
0: if that letter ever gets lost, at least it's referred to
1: specifically in the will.
0: Well, that's um, an, that's an excellent fix. idea. Uh, look, the the terms of the letter, of course, are not binding on any court, but it would be taken into account. The, the wishes of the testator or the testatrix would have to be taken into account
1: very strongly as well, particularly if it details as to why it's been provided for in that particular way. I and mean, it's obviously the testator or testatrix mm. own words. We generally don't draft it; they draft it and they provide their explanations accordingly if it's a reason of estrangement
0: or whatnot oh that sounds to me like excellent advice all right now with all of these documents that we can assist of course with the preparation of they don't require registration mm-hmm there's no stamp duty payable and we can retain those documents on behalf of the clients in safe custody here at Bryden's Lawyers?
1: Correct we generally do and there's no fee attached to that we just provide the documents original will original power of attorney and enduring guardian in our safe custody.
0: All right and the turnaround time for preparation of a will?
1: If it is a simple will we can generally prepare that during the conference that you attend within I suppose 30 minutes of receiving your instructions.
0: Perfect sounds very good to me but uh, for obvious reasons yes (laughs) Uh, well look Nicole thank you very much this has been um, an incredibly good start i think to our podcast career i
1: hope so i hope you've enjoyed it I have.
0: all right well look thank you all for listening and taking the time um i hope you enjoyed and hope you've actually uh, gleaned some important information from today's podcast and make sure that you follow us on all our social media platforms which includes of course facebook and instagram and twitter and tune in next week and hopefully we'll have another topic that may be of interest and of assistance to you so thank you very much for for listening